the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. ...of Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. We're not taking your calls today. Enjoy the show. From our nation's capital, welcome to Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. Seasoned expert on race, religion, relationships, Dr. Anderson wants to talk to you. Phone lines are open now, 888-432-7434. And now, please welcome Dr. David Anderson, your bridge-building voice in the nation's capital. Good afternoon, friends. David Anderson live right here in the nation's capital. How in the world are you today? Well, wherever you are, in your kitchen, in your car, maybe in front of your computer or your smartphone watching me on Facebook Live, thank you so much for tuning in. And, of course, on the most listened to Christian talk station on the East Coast, second in the entire country, WAVA 105.1 FM right here in Arlington, Virginia, covering all of Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C., Maryland, parts of West Virginia and Pennsylvania as well. So we've got a pretty big footprint, don't we? And what a wonderful opportunity we have to connect with one another, trying to build bridges wherever we can. It's not always easy, but we try. And, of course, if you're new to the show, uh, let me tell you how we roll. Of course, if you're not new, you could probably say it with me. Every day, we have Marriage Mondays, Tough Topic Tuesdays, that's today, Wisdom Wednesdays, Theological Thursdays, and then Open Phone and Fridays. Anything you want to talk to me about on Friday is fair game. But today is Tough Topic Tuesday, and we've got a very tough topic, a very interesting one. We need to build a bridge here, and that's building a bridge to prison reform and mass incarceration. I've got a special guest I'm going to introduce to you uh, very shortly, but that's what we're talking about. Uh, in fact, America is the global leader in imprisoning its citizens. So should we change that? Should we care about that? If so, why and, and how? Where our special guest, uh, Dominique Gilliard, is going to help us with that. He is the author of Rethinking Mass Incarceration, Advocating for Justice That Restores. I'm holding up the book right now if you're on my Facebook Live page. But before we get started, I'm going to give you the phone number. I'm going to say a word of prayer to cover our time together and then introduce our guest today, Dominique Gilliard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity you give us to connect and to have conversation one with another. And we ask that you would uh, give us insight, especially for those of us who may not know much about prison. Would you uh, uh, help our thinking and help us have your heart on the topic as well? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Together, everyone said, amen and amen. Well, if you want to join the conversation, give us a phone call. Here's my number live in studio, 888-432-7434. That's 
888-488-7434. Or just remember the word bridge, 888-43-BRIDGE. Now, Dominique Gilliard is the Director of Racial Righteousness and Reconciliation for the Love, Mercy, Do Justice Initiative of the Evangelical Covenant Church. He serves on the Board of Directors for CCDA, that's the Christian Community Development Association, and Evangelicals for Justice. In 2015, he was selected as one of his denomination's 40 under 40 leaders to watch, and the Huffington Post named him one of the black Christian leaders changing the world. He has uh, enjoyed pastoral ministry in Atlanta, Chicago, and Oakland. He's got his bachelor's degree from uh, Georgia State University and his master's in history from East Tennessee State University. And uh, he's also got an MDiv he earned from North Park Seminary. And so uh, he also serves there as an adjunct professor teaching Christian ethics theology and reconciliation and his new book which we're talking about today which again i am holding up is rethinking mass incarceration advocating for justice that restores dominique gilliard welcome to the show how are you doing today sir i'm ecstatic to be on with you <laughs> well i'm glad that you wrote the book and i'm glad that you're on with us today I'm going to start at a very basic level. Let's say that people don't know what mass incarceration means. Before we can rethink it, would you help us understand that? Yeah, I like to start by using Michelle Alexander's definition because mm -hmm. um, I think it's pretty succinct. Uh, she says mass incarceration is a massive system of racial and social control. It is the process by which people are swept into the criminal justice system, branded criminals and felons locked up for longer periods of time than most other countries in the world who incarcerate people who have been convicted of crimes and then released into a permanent second class status in which they are stripped of the basic civil and human rights like the right to vote the right to serve on juries, and the right to be free of legal discrimination in employment, housing, and access to public benefits. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I would add to her definition is that mass incarceration has really evolved into a lucrative industry where people who are locked up behind bars in our nation are being exploited for their labor. Mm -hmm. So it's the process of, let me just kind of be devil's advocate a little bit, it's the process yep. of taking criminals and putting them in prison, and what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is a couple things. Um, one, we say that someone goes to jail or prison to serve their, pay their debt to society. Uh -huh. But once they come out of prison, we continue to rem uh, require them to pay a debt for the rest of their lives. Uh -huh. uh, particularly if they're convicted for felony offenses mm -hmm. where they no longer have access to any kind of governmental assistance for the rest of their lives and, and many states are forever barred from participating in the democratic process. Mm, so they really didn't pay their debt. It's a life sentence in some ways. Exactly. Uh-huh. Now that makes a little bit more uh, sense to me and probably to our listeners too. Maybe you have a question today about mass incarceration. I've got the author of the book, Rethinking Mass Incarceration. His name is Dominic Gilliard. He just wrote this brand new book. It's on InterVarsity Press, the uh, press that also has a couple of my uh, books. They're a good Christian publisher. You can Google him today, Dominique Gilliard. And the book, again, is Rethinking Mass Incarceration. 
When we get back, I'm going to ask our author, our guest author here, Dominic Gilliard, about uh, what happens when people go to prison, what happens when people come out of prison, and uh, are they ever really free? We're coming right back. This is Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. That's 844-980-3707. Dr. Anderson would love for you to join his brand new public figure Facebook page. Just search Dr. David Anderson on Facebook and when you see his smiling face, click like. It's another great way for you to connect and follow the good doc. Welcome back to Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. For more information about this program or for resources from Dr. Anderson, please visit andersonspeaks.com. You can call our hotline at any time at 888-432-7434. That's 888-43-BRIDGE. To watch us on Facebook Live or to check out our previous broadcasts, visit Dr. Anderson's public Facebook page. Just search Dr. David Anderson and click like. To join our text community and receive a free weekly textspiration from Dr. Anderson, just text the word INSPIRE to 50555. That's I-N-S-P-I-R-E to 50555. And now, back to Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. It's Real Talk. I'm David Anderson. Your bridge-building voice right here in the nation's capital. I've got a special guest with me today. He's the author of a brand-new book, Rethinking Mass Incarceration, subtitle Advocating for Justice That Restores. His name is Dominique Gilliard, and the book is on InterVarsity Press. Mr. Gilliard, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and why you wrote this book? Yeah, so I was uh, born and raised right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, um, and really, I, I jokingly say that I really uh, saw God distill the best virtues of each of my parents and synchronize them into the call that's been placed on my mm. life. Um, my mom's a minister, um, and she actually just got um approved to serve as the first what would be equivalent to a bishop in our denomination, a uh-huh. uh, woman of color um, in our 134-year history denominationally. Mm. Mm. Um, and my father, 
Thank you. And my father worked for the SELC for uh, about 10 years. Uh-huh. And so, Which stands um, for, taking, in case my listeners don't know? Oh, yeah. The Southern, Southern Christian Leadership Conference was an organization that Dr. King founded during That's the Civil right. Rights era. That's right. Good, good. And so why would you write the book, Dominique? So I wrote the book because... I could not um, – I was really shocked and appalled by the church's silence in this watershed moment. Um, right now, we currently have more prisons, jails, and detention centers in our nation than we do degree-granting institutions. Mm-hmm. So there are literally more places where you can get locked up than get a college education. Mm. And that's never happened anywhere in the history of the world. And in the midst of this – and this is really something that's been kind of – unfolding and becoming an increasing problem since 1971, I was just shocked and appalled by how silent the church was and how how unaware I was for so many years, even growing up in a community that was, you know, impacted by this profoundly. Mm. And so I wanted to help really sound the alarm for the church to awaken to this issue that was going on and really allow us to discern what it looks like to prophetically raise our voice in a way that bears witness to the love, mercy, and justice. Why do you think that the church has been so silent on the topic? Do you think it's because they don't know or is it that they don't care or do they agree with it that, hey, criminals ought to be locked up? And you know what? That's the consequences of their behavior. And so when they get out, uh, you know, I I still need to know that, uh, you know, they still got a mark on them because they could do it again. Yeah. I mean, quite honestly, I think it's some of all three. Okay. Um, (laughs) And the (laughs) <laughs> I think the the fourth thing I would add is also the shame component. Uh-huh. Um, I think there are a lot of people who know that there are people in their congregations who are affected by this issue and people in the congregations who want to uh, share the burden with the broader congregation, but they feel like they'll be shamed mm-hmm. if they expose the fact that their son or their cousin or, you know, a loved one is behind bars. Mm. And so I think part of what we have to do is really destigmatize incarceration, especially in an era right now where one in 14 kids throughout the nation have at least one incarcerated parent Mm, one in 14 so do you uh, sense that the church has contributed to mass incarceration the problem itself yes and if so how um and that that's one of um one of the things i really put forth is because so for me, this conversation for Christians really starts with the fact that we know the Scripture tells us that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. While we were yet enemies of God, and uh, in that, it's only grace that ultimately adopts us into the family of God. Mm-hmm. And it's that grace that was first shown to us, which should be something that hallmarks our life and informs our response to other people once they cause harm. Mm-hmm. And it's been our inability to live out of that grace mm-hmm. and really to cling towards punitive strategies uh, that really define justice as punishment, um, as opposed to a more biblically based definition of justice that really talks about justice as something that is inherently restorative. Mm-hmm. There's accountability 
um, injustice, but justice is not, and biblically, it does not end with punishment. So, it ends with accountability and healthy reintegration. Okay, so you're saying it's the end goal that we have wrong. The end goal should not be punishment, but restoration at the end of the day. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you want to join the conversation, our phone number live in studio, 888-432-7434. Dominic Gilliard, do you mind if we take a couple of phone calls? No, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go on the road with Mike, who's on the line. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. How you doing? Good, thanks. What are you thinking? Um, Well, I I don't want to say too much because I don't want to get myself in trouble, but I go to prison every day. I know, I know a thing or two about prison. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, is there, is there I, a joke here? And, no, no. I, my line of work. Uh, okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, but, uh, so you want, just, to say, to be, think, just to be clear, Mike, you weren't talking about marriage. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no, that, All right. I just, want, uh, just wanted I, to be I clear. I do that. Okay, go for it. So what do you, what do you think on the uh, yeah, topic, I seriously? Think, I think the first time someone gets in, uh, falls, uh, you know, gets in trouble, mm-hmm. be that uh, probation or be it their incar- uh, incarceration. I think there are a lot of interventions we do, but we should be throwing as many, uh, many programs and possibilities and and interventions at the first time someone gets in trouble to try to get that life uh, turned or turned around. Uh, you know, the first time they they run afoul. And I certainly don't think that we should be putting first time offenders in a prison with repeat offenders where it becomes more of a university of crime than uh, any kind of center for rehabilitation. Hmm. Interesting thought. Thanks a lot, Mike. So let me ask you, uh, Dominic Gilliard, would you agree with that, that if a repeat offender is in and they throw in a first-time offender, that it becomes like a university of crime? It definitely can. I say the place I see that most explicitly is where juveniles are incarcerated in adult facilities. Does that happen? Um, Oh, very often. There, in fact, there are 12 states in our nation right now that don't have a minimum age for trying juveniles as adults. And oh. when juveniles are sentenced as adults, they're much more likely to be housed within adult facilities. And when they're housed in with the adult facilities, they're much more likely to be sexually assaulted and to commit suicide. So they could be 16 years old and end with people who are 30, 40, and 50. Exactly. And if you ever walk with juveniles who that's happened to, they'll oftentimes say, I went in interested in petty crime. I came out in hard, a hardened criminal. Hmm. I'm different now. How do they come out as a hardened criminal? Why is that? How does that happen? Almost like what the um, caller just said, there is this kind of school of criminality um, and this thought and this very detail um, into how do you get involved and really uh, rooted in the criminal life that they get access to and they're really schooled in during Mm -hmm. the duration of their sentence. Mm -hmm. And they just come out and they say, I just don't have the same kind of sensitivities to things that I should have Mm -hmm. that I had before I went in. Gotcha. Let's go to Fort Belvoir, Virginia, and talk to Robert, who's on the line. Hi, Robert. It's Dr. Anderson. How are you doing? Hey. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for calling. What's your comment or question, sir? Uh, Doing great. What are you thinking? Just wanted wanted to again uh, comment on uh, prison reform. My wife and I have been involved with prison ministry for over 20 years, and Mm -hmm. uh, there is a big need there. But I will say that um, we've seen a lot of success um, part of what our ministry involves is is reaching out to those uh, returning citizens 
and uh, giving them that second chance. We actually teach Bible study in the local jail, mm-hmm. and um, we've been uh, to various prisons. And just uh, to clarify, I think um, your guest probably knows it. There is a big difference between the jail and the prison, the mm-hmm. local jail. Yes. Um, and yep. in the local jail, you're looking at folks that are, for the most part, going to be returning to, you know, back to the community in a short amount of time. Um, if they get sentenced beyond that, they end up in the prison. Mm-hmm. So there's a big need for those individuals that, you know, before they get in, I just heard you, uh, you know, you guess comment before they get hardened, you know, if mm-hmm. you can, you know, get them there. I often say that I look at prison uh, ministry and reform in three phases, and um, we're in the big phase when they're that they're incarcerated. Mm-hmm. The other one that is is um is important, and we've been getting quite involved in is when they get released. Mm-hmm. But if yes. we can possibly get them before they go into that, get into that system, then, um, yeah. you know, that's, 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 uh, where you want to really kind of catch gotcha. them. But, um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely, we gotta, we gotta make, cause, you know, these are folks that, you know, my wife has a saying, it's easier to go to jail than you think. Mm. And, um, you know, and, and, and she, she, her, one of her books is actually a, a stage play. Mm. And uh, when they presented that, everybody in the audience had the same reaction. You said, mm. Mm. Now let me and, let me just our uh, host host said yeah go ahead yeah let me just jump in there and thank you for your comment I appreciate it Robert um, for my guest Dominique uh, Gilliard who's the author of this book Rethinking Mass Incarceration I'm lifting it up now on Facebook Live advocating for justice that restores uh, Dominique our our last caller was talking about the difference between jail and prison and so there are jails for people who are awaiting sentences as well is that right. Correct. And and what happens um, if they go to court and then they have to then go to prison? Do they go back to the jail to in process or do they go directly to the prison? And now it's a completely different world. A lot of times it's a direct transfer mm-hmm. um, and it's a completely different world. Um, but as the caller said, most people who are in jail are awaiting sentencing. But that's another problem with our present system. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of time that people are actually serving behind bars before actually even being convicted of any criminal activity. Uh-huh. Uh, most people would think that your time awaiting trial would be about three days, but it can last up to three years. Very. A popular case where that happened was the case of Khalif Browder, which mm-hmm. I'm sure a number of people have heard of. But mm-hmm. Khalif ultimately ended up spending three years behind bars, over 180 days in solitary confinement. And because of the physical abuse he endured there, he ended up trying to take his life six times mm. um, while behind bars. And so there are a number of people uh, 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 thousands of people every day who are serving time behind bars who have not been convicted of any criminal activity. Mm. And most of the time they're only there because they can't afford bond, which is essentially a new form of a reemergence of debtors prisons, which are unconstitutional in the U.S. Mm. And so there are a lot of prison ministries out there. I know we have a couple of them here at my church, but that's really trying to bring some comfort and encouragement to people while they're in this state. Uh, is there a sense of hope that many prisoners have that they will get out one day? Or is it more like, hey, listen, I'm here. This is my new home. I probably will never get out. And so now my my focus is survival. 
Yeah, I think with the longer sentences, that that thought can creep in, particularly in states that don't have parole, and which is another thing. Most people believe that every state in our nation actually has parole, but there are actually two states that do not have parole, Mm -hmm. uh, one of which is the state that I live in. And I see people with very long prison sentences because there's not a possibility of parole or no kind of incentive for good behavior or even education. Uh, pursuing education, like you get no time off, there is this kind of sense of defeatism that can creep Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. and loom and really start to inform the behavior. Mm -hmm. But in many states where you have um, parole or people have shorter sentences, I think the belief that um, they are going to get out or even the support that comes from people who are walking alongside of them saying you still have value, you still have dignity, you still mm-hmm. have worth, you can still be a contributing member to society once you get out, but also in the midst of your incarceration. Mm-hmm. You can be somebody who is actually a disciple who's actually actively making disciples behind bars. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that one of the most um, surprising things I found when I was doing the research for the book is that there are Um, school seminaries who are going into prisons who are actually making disciples who are so intent on making disciples behind bars that they're actually being sent out as prison missionaries to other prisons that don't have a witnessing campus. Wow, hold on, we're going to be right back. There's a brand new worship experience in the DMV. Reed Temple's New Life Laurel. Come out and experience vibrant worship and dynamic preaching every week by our lead team, Reverend Omari Hughes and Reverend Shalita Fombi. The Moab experience has dulled and diluted your discernment. It's left you bitter. You're becoming cynical and jaded. The resentment is reflected in your face. You used to come through the church doors and you used to have an effervescent presence about you. But now when we look at you, oh, you're sullen and you're sad. You're mad. The stench and the scent of the Moab experience is starting to permeate and Salute your personality. When you're serving, there's a lot on your plate. And what I cannot understand is why with all that you have on your plate, you're worried about what I got going on on my plate. It just is fascinating to me that the same people who are tattletelling on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the same people. If you bowing down like you're supposed to be bowing down, how you know I'm standing up? Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. and every Tuesday at 7 p.m. for teaching at the Laurel Beltsville Senior Activity Center located at 7120 Conti Road, Laurel, Maryland. See you there. If you've even thought about replacing your heating and A.C. system, now is the time. A-Action is offering our lowest prices of the year. Why? Because this is our slowest time of year. We have to keep our techs busy. That's why we're offering special pricing with zero interest. These are high-efficiency systems with great warranties. Call today to get your free estimate, 703-922-1900, 703-922-1900. 
Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-230-2777. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes or overweight or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-230-2777. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-230-2777. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-230-2777. 800-230-2777. 105.1 FM, WAVA. The following program has been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. And we're back. Charlotte Howard says reformation is needed indeed. Chris Spiller says on my Facebook page, I got saved in county jail, Dr. Anderson. Praise the Lord. Uh, Hello to all of you who are tuned in on my Facebook live page as well as on WAVA 105.1 FM and 1090 AM right here in the nation's capital. If you're just joining us, maybe you're getting in your car now, Dominique uh gilliard is the author of a brand new book rethinking incarceration the subtitle is advocating for justice that restores and i'm holding the book up now as many of you can see on facebook live and he's our guest today if you want to talk to him or me the phone number uh, about this topic of of prison reform and mass incarceration the number is 888-432 7434. Uh, that's 888-43-BRIDGE. Dominique Gilliard, tell me, why is America the global leader in imprisoning its citizens? I think we've become addicted to incarceration, and we understand punish uh, justice from a very punitive lens. And I think part of that uh, for the church has really come from a misunderstanding of some key biblical texts that really say, you know, how God is holy and therefore set apart from sin. Mm -hmm. And I think we try to superinscribe that legislatively and say that we need to be holy and therefore set apart from crime and i.e. criminals. And Mm -hmm. so we get this mentality that ultimately we can lock away social problems by incarcerating people that represent them. And then we lock them away and throw away the key with very punitive um, strategies like zero tolerance and three strikes you're out and these very uh, punitive legislations that don't really have any kind of way for healthy reintegration Mm. once somebody has been held accountable, done their time and learned from their experience. Um, I oftentimes say that one of the things that we forsake when we cling to kind of very punitive law and order strategies is the way 
in which those uh, policies um, and that legislation become such a hindrance and a stumbling block for so many brothers and sisters who find Christ behind bars, mm. who truly want to come out and have a second chance at life. And there's so many hurdles legally now because of a criminal record that they really never have an opportunity to do that. It almost seems like you're saying it's a theological uh difference or understanding about this topic, that there's theological underpinnings for a justice that's restorative and not punitive. Exactly. And I think um, because one of the things I talk about in the book is some some of the ways that Scripture has been misinterpreted, particularly with something known as uh, seeing prison as a furnace of affliction. Um, that's one of the terminologies that came out. And there was this belief for a long time that was espoused by um, chaplains and other prison reformers that ultimately prison is supposed to be such a place of suffering to the point that people have to reach their lowest point, and only when people are broken down to their lowest point will they really understand their depravity and have a comprehension of their need for a Savior. And at that point, that's when we can do evangelism that's ultimately going to kind of transform them and save their souls. Mm. And because of that, there were uh, biblical passages that were misapplied and really legitimated a very punitive, inhumane um, reality for a lot of people who were incarcerated. People would be beaten to almost the point of death, and those kind of passages would be used as a legitimization for why prison had to be such a torturous place. But, you know, hell is torturous, and God is going to throw people in hell, so isn't that punitive? It's punitive, but I think that's not the—so one of the things, uh, Scripture is clear that God was in Christ reconciling the world to God's Mm -hmm, self, mm -hmm. and reconciliation is ultimately— God's plan for justice mm-hmm. and ultimately God, the plan that God desires for us is. And so when we try to play God and create uh, hell-like circumstances mm. as a way to try to incentivize conversion, mm. then I think we forget our role, um, that we are not the just judge. There's only one just judge. Mm, I thought I was throwing you a hardball. Look how you just did that. That was good, <laughs> man. That was good. All right, I got a couple more for you when I get back from this commercial break. I'm talking to Dominique Gilliard. He's the author of the book, Rethinking Mass Incarceration. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Our phone number is 888-432-7434. I feel like new sunglasses, like a brand new pair of jeans. I feel like taking chances. I feel a lot like 17. When asked the question raised by her professor, why are you here at Omega Graduate School? Sebla Diluhailu answered in one of her essays like this. I was not there just to add a prefix to my name, though that would feel good. The greater purpose of my preparation at OGS is to fulfill my mandate to be a change agent. The doctoral study is a time of preparation for me to see and to think, to understand the times, and to craft my way in fulfilling my calling. Sebla Diluhailu, a current doctor of philosophy student from Ethiopia, is a counselor and adjunct psychology professor who hosts a weekly radio show in the capital city of Ethiopia and is an advocate for empowering women and children. 
is your profession and how can OGS help you grow to the next level in your graduate education? Dr. David Anderson is the new chancellor of Omega Graduate School, formerly known as Oxford Graduate School, and your education as a working adult is important to him, to God, and to all who will be changed in the world because of your important research. Go to OGS.edu today and apply or call 1-800-933-6188. Hi, Jewel. This is Dr. Anderson. How are you? Hi, Dr. Anderson, and hello to your guests. First, I want to thank you for Best Buy Waterproofing. They are outstanding. Yeah, and I'm scheduled to get my work done in a week, but I just want to thank you. The free home inspection, they came out. Love it. It was just absolutely amazing. They have over 30 years of experience, and they'll even donate $500 to my show if you end up doing business with them. But most of all, get your basement fixed. Give them a call, 844-980-3707. That's 844-980-3707. Have you heard any good lawyer jokes lately? Well, let me tell you about a lawyer who is no joke. That's James McCollum. He's a no-nonsense attorney who understands the law and he knows the Lord. When I have need of legal advice, I have contacted James McCollum. If you need legal representation, contact James McCollum at 301-864-6070. That's attorney James McCollum at 301-864-6070. And that's no joke. Want more Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson? You can now catch Dr. Anderson's half-hour radio highlight show on Saturdays at 7 p.m. right here on WAVA 105.1. You'll enjoy recent conversations he's had with callers to this show. Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson, Weekend Edition, Saturday, 7 p.m. on WAVA. Check it out. For more information about Dr. Anderson, visit andersonspeaks.com. It's Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. If you want to give me a call, we're talking about mass incarceration, building a bridge to prison reform. I've got Rethinking Mass Incarceration, the title of the book I'm holding up. I've got the author, Dominic Gilliam, who's, Gilliard, who's hanging out with me today, and we're talking about this topic. Uh, Dominic Gilliard, uh, what do you want readers to take away from your book? I want readers to take away that our criminal justice system is presently morally and ethically bankrupt, mm. and it's not producing the reform that it, it, it oftentimes is associated with uh, a criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. And I want people to understand that not only is it uh, been stripped of a lot of the programming and resources that really did allow people to do the reform work that they've historically been able to do within prisons, 
um, those are no longer available, but also that people are being exploited for their labor. And as Christians, I want people to understand that we have a, a theological and ethical mandate to really advocate for a justice system that is going to be about uh, authentic rehabilitation, lasting transformation, and healthy reintegration. Well, you talk about exploiting the prisoners for their labor. A lot of people may not even know what that means. Tell us. Yeah, so most people aren't aware that uh, people who are behind bars are making everyday items from license plates to police uniforms to furniture that's used on college campuses. And they work full days, uh, and they're usually paid $2 a day for their labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see one of the more grotesque examples of this is out in the state of California, where every year they have wildfires. And when the wildfires happen, the wildfires become so numerous that they don't have enough people to actually do the labor. Mm-hmm. They pull people out of prison and they ask them to fight the wildfires. Mm. And when they do that, again, they get $2 a day for their labor. And for each day that they serve out there, now, granted, these are not trained professionals to fight wildfires. Mm-hmm. Each day that they are willing to do it, they get a day taken off of their sentence as a compensation. Mm-hmm. But to actually pay these people the way that they would have to if they were trained professionals, they would have to pay them 26 to $28 an hour for their labor. Mm-hmm. So think of all of the money that's being saved. Mm-hmm. Um, but these aren't these aren't children, so it's not child labor. What's wrong with uh, you know, letting the prisoners have a work program uh, to show good behavior. I mean, they were robbing banks before. Now they're in prison, so they're making $2 a day. What's so bad about that? Well, a couple of things that are wrong with <laughs> that is, um, first thing is that the vast majority of people who are locked up in our nation are there for nonviolent offenses. And I think that that's critically important because I think most people think like what you just said, Mm -hmm. that most of these people were robbing banks or doing something violent. But if you use the most liberal definition of what a violent crime is, 29% of people who are incarcerated in our nation are there for violent offenses. So 29% are there for violent offenses? So that's less than a third? Exactly. So two-thirds are not in prison because of a violent offense. They're in prison for what? Give me some examples. Most of them are there for chemical uh, substance abuse issues Uh or some kind of mental health issue. Uh Um, So mental health uh, is one of the major drivers for our criminal justice system today. To give you an example, there are 44 states plus the District of Columbia who presently have more people with severely diagnosed mental health impairments who are incarcerated in the state's largest uh, state facility versus who are getting treatment in the state's largest psychiatric facility. So whatever uh, in Washington, D.C., in Washington, D.C., if the psychiatric facility was full, you're telling Mm -hmm. me that the prison population of mentally uh, deranged or people who are not healthy exceeds the number of those that are getting psychiatric care outside. Yes, and not just people with mental health, severe mental health impairments. Mm-hmm. Um, this problem is so bad that medical professionals in the field six years ago bluntly said prisons are the new asylums. But why? We are warehousing. Why are we warehousing people who are mentally ill? Is it because they committed a crime? No. 
No, I mean, in many cases, so to give you an example, um, every year there are 90,000 people who are legally constituted as incompetent to stand trial, okay. which means that they don't have the mental capacities to even understand why they're standing in front of a judge. Okay. That's the legal constitution. And instead of giving those people the hospitalization they need, we choose to incarcerate those people. Uh-huh. So they can't stand trial, so they put them in, in prison. And how are they surviving in prison? Do they have satri- psychiatric uh, evaluations and, and help there? They do, but it's oftentimes inadequate. And so research has actually said that a lot of times they're actually deteriorating or de- de- deteriorating behind bars because of the inadequate um, health care that they're getting. So they're in prison in their mind and in their body. Yes. Mm, you talk about four conduits that pump people into mass incarceration. One is the school to prison pipeline. Two is the deinstitutionalization of mental health facilities, which we just talked about, I suppose. Three is the privatization of prisons. And then four is the war on immigration. Which one of those do you want to talk about? Oh, we can talk about. You pick. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kind of interested in the war on immigration. What do you think about that? Okay. Because we keep yeah. getting uh, we keep getting news reports of another immigrant that had been deported three or four times, and, and, and now they're in prison because they killed someone. I, I mean, is that what you're talking about? Is is is, is that a bad thing to want to send them to prison or send them back to the country from which they came? No, um, I think so. What I'm talking about is the fact that um, in 2010, most people would be surprised to know that there was a congressional mandate that says that every single night, 34,000 detainees must be uh, detained in custody by ICE every single night. And that was a a directive that was introduced by a Democrat, and I think that's important because sometimes when we talk about things like mass incarceration, we can Mm -hmm. fall into partisan politics. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to understand that mass incarceration is a bipartisan agenda. Uh Both parties have used law and order, get tough on crime rhetoric for their own political expediency. Mm -hmm. And so it's really fallacious to actually pit one as the culprit and the other one as the advocate. Mm -hmm. Um, But right now, now, um, 90% of people who are um, detained for immigration offenses are detained within private prisons, which is important as a way to bridge the conversation because that means if we did not have the punitive policies that we have around immigration, including some of the stuff that we've seen that we all know just ripped our hearts open with families being torn apart at the border, um, private prisons would cease to exist because they would not actually have enough people to fill the cells because private prisons function very much like hotels do. So every time, every night a hotel has a room vacant, they lose money. Private prisons function the same way just in regards to sales because private prisons are for-profit industries. How are they making Um, their money? Is the government paying them per prisoner? Yeah, so they they get uh, a portion from the government, um, but then they also uh, get money off of the labor that we talked about earlier that people behind bars are being um, that are doing. But they also get money because they actually have these exclusive contracts with service providers who come mm-hmm. in. So one of the few places that you will ever see a payphone today 
are within prisons. Um, and that's because there is an exclusive contract with a telephone company where they can charge outrageous prices for people to be able to make phone calls. But there is a monopoly on that business, so they don't actually have any competition. Mm. Um, that also happens through um, the food provider, Aramark. Aramark is a food provider mm -hmm. that provides uh, food all throughout the camp, uh, country on college campuses. But Aramark has actually been uh, sued multiple times because they've been found to have maggots within the food that they're serving within prison. Mm, interesting. It's just not just. Well, listen, as soon as I get back from my break, we're going to kind of land the plane. Think about any final comments you might have. I'm highlighting today the book from Dominique Gilliard. It's Rethinking Mass Incarceration, Advocating for Justice That Restores. You can find it on InterVarsity Press. I'll be back. This is Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. If I hand you a free $20 bill, you're going to say, nice. If I take your $20 gift and I crumple it up first, chances are you're still going to say, nice. The value doesn't change, right? But what if I took your 20 sprinkled some magical fairy potion on it, and when I handed it back, it became a $40 bill? Obviously, you'd say there's no such thing as a $40 bill or magical potion, but our commercial here works better if we pretend. Hey, it's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, and the reality is home values have gone up magical potion-like across the U.S., which for many of you has magically increased the value of your home. The one thing we've worked hard on is becoming experts on helping WAVA listeners that qualify to easily and efficiently cash out that newfound value to use for anything you want. We are United Faith Mortgage. We pay your appraisal fees up to $500. Nice. UMC Mortgage Company, Melbourne, New York, NMLS number 1330, nmlsconsumeraccess.org. If you could ease the suffering of a persecuted Christian right now, would you? Hi, Don Crow here with WAVA, and I know you would. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those who are mistreated, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere suffers, we suffer together. These believers live where evangelism is criminalized, where churches are burned, and where Bibles are scarce. They need the hope found only in God's Word, and your gift today lets them know they're not forgotten. For only $5, a believer like Anna in Africa will receive a Bible, be discipled in her new faith, and trained to share Christ. $35 sends seven Bibles, and a limited-time Bible-for-Bible match will help us meet our goal of sending the hope of God's Word to nearly 7,000 persecuted Christians. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD, or if you prefer, you can go online to our website, wava.com, and click on the Bible League banner. If you suffer from abdominal bloating, relief is here. Introducing Atrantil. Developed by a board-certified gastroenterologist, it relieves bloating where it starts, in the small bowel. That's why Atrantil. works while other remedies don't. In clinical trials, 88% of bloating sufferers who use prescription medications with no relief found Atrantil. relieve their symptoms, and it's available without a prescription because is made from a patented molecular combination of botanical extracts. It's not a probiotic. Plus, it's natural, vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. A-T-R-A-N-T-I-L, Atron. 
Atron Teal. Even the name is proven to make you feel better. Find Atron Teal at Amazon.com, Walmart.com, your local retailer, or for a special limited time offer, go to bloatfree.com. And we're back. It's Real Talk with Dr. David Anderson. For those of you who give to the program, I just want to thank you and uh, appreciate you for whatever you give to support us. And you can always uh, just go to EmbraceGracism.com and you can make a gift uh, today as well. And by the way, if you're looking to make money, uh, the student shuttle is hiring drivers. So if you're anywhere in the DMV, uh, guess what? They want you. You can make a few hundred bucks a week. Uh, driving kids around as long as you have a 2010 vehicle or newer, 21 years old, and a good driving record, go to thestudentshuttle.com and tell them that Dr. Anderson sent you. Apply online. They'll hook you up. Make a few extra bucks. Everybody likes that. Thestudentshuttle.com. Let's go to Barbara in D.C. Um, Barbara, you're going to be my last caller. If you can give me a quick comment or question for our guest, that would be wonderful. What are you thinking? All right, it looks like I lost her. So now let me circle back to the author of this book that I'm holding up on Facebook Live, Rethinking Incarceration. As you wrote this book and you were hoping that people would read it, uh, Dominic Gilliard, are you grateful for what you wrote? And is there something that we need to pay specific attention to as we read your book? Yeah, I'm ecstatic that I wrote the book. Um, it's been so well received. It's already on its fifth printing, mm-hmm. um, and it just came out in February. So this means there's over 15,000 uh, copies in distribution already. Oh, congratulations. Um, so I've been in awe of what God has been doing with the book. Mm. Um, and particularly, what should we be paying attention to? Um, I wanted church to really understand that this conversation is not estranged from our faith, um, mm. but it's very, um, there's are very inherent connections between the conversation of mass incarceration and scripture. In fact, five of the books of the Bible were written in prison. Mm. Um, and the book of Colossians in particular, we only have that book because of one of Paul's disciples faithfully going back and forth and visiting him while he was incarcerated. Mm. And Paul was writing letters to the church in the city because they were actually drifting into heresy. Mm. And it was Paul from prison who had to pastor them back to faithfulness. How about that? And and I just think that's just so profound because how many of us really believe that someone who's incarcerated today could actually pastor us in any way, shape, or form? Mm, how about that? And, if, and Jesus said he was anointed to set the prisoners free, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Oh, mm. yeah. And, in fact, I'll, I always like to end by really talking about there is no gospel without incarcerated people. Mm. And I don't mean that metaphorically i literally mean that jesus the author and perfecter of our faith john the baptist who was called to pave the way for jesus paul who wrote the majority of the new testament peter to whom he said i will build upon mm-hmm. you i'll build my church samson hananiah the seer joseph malachi stephen jeremiah mm-hmm. shadrach meshach abednego mm-hmm. silas all incarcerated people mm, how about and that's that? not that's 
That's not even to mention other people who committed criminal offenses who just didn't spend any time behind bars, <laughs> like well, Moses see, and David. <laughs> see, then, and then you start getting into our business. We half of us should be in prison <laughs> for things we've done. But uh, thank Amen. God for being a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness, Dominique. Thank you for gifting us uh, with your writing and with this book, Rethinking Incarceration. Thanks for having me on. Blessings to you. Let's pray together, friends. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have come to set the prisoner free. And, Lord, for the least of these, we do pray uh, their comfort and their restoration as well. Teach us how to forgive, how to love, and how to be gracist. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Christ.